This city is all about sharing memories of wonderful London and that's why I'm even more excited to be working with one of my most favourite brands for this series. When I tell you that Instax are the instant photo people and their cameras and smartphone printers are super easy to use, I mean it. They are perfect because we all know that the best memories need to be captured in the moment. And I'm definitely talking from experience here because I've had an Instax camera for years and everyone who comes to visit my home, there's a rule. You must take an Instax photo and stick it in my guest book. It is one of my all time favorite things. Life is meant to be shared and I love, love, love that I've captured those moments with my friends and family forever. So whether you want to keep and treasure your pics like I do, give them away to loved ones to reminisce on a special time or one better, gift an Instax camera or printer, you can find out more at instax.co.uk. Hello, I'm Clara Ampho and welcome back to This City, the podcast where we talk to famed inhabitants of wonderful London. Each episode will delve into the past favourite places, the current favourite places, the dance spots, the food spots, the night bus stories, stories of school where we fell in love from some of our favourite famous faces, whether they were born here or adopted our capital. listener brand new episode of the city and it is with a lovely friend of mine fellow broadcaster dj radio tv presenter published author og grime head dj target somebody who i adore someone who's always been very kind to me um, i've known target coming up to i think about nine years now uh, when i first joined uh, one extra in 2013 he was always so sweet and kind to me although I don't think Target remembers this. The very first time we met was when he stepped on a pair of my brand new fresh trainers at a gig. And he was so apologetic and so sweet that I felt like a terrible person. But in that, I learned that he was a lovely person. Target is so creative and so brilliant. Um, His book Grind Kids is out now. You can listen to him on One Extra at the moment. He's got his TV show, Tonight with Target. He is a jack of all trades. And also his book has been adapted into a TV series, which we're going to be treated to this year. Um, He's got so many great stories to tell. He is an East London boy through and through. So welcome to the podcast, Target. This is his city. Do you know what? It would have been remiss of me to not have you on the show at some point because you are somebody that has got so many incredible stories to tell. You are somebody that has been at the epicentre of a genre and a movement that, you know, has changed the face of British popular culture, um, the chart. Like you literally were there. You know what people say, but weren't you there though? <laughs> you were literally there and are still there. Like yeah, you're yeah. like, you know, your story is so compelling and so interesting and so fun. And I just want people to, yeah, I, I want to celebrate that with you. No, oh, no, you, Clara. no, no, uh, no roll deep pun intended, but let's, <laughs> let, let's celebrate that. <laughs> I know. See, this is the thing. I know, you know, all the nooks and crannies and the, the moments and the history and like, this is going to, uh, this is going to be a fun conversation, but yeah um, when I do stop and kind of take stock of uh, not just my own career but where this whole black British music culture thing has got to and where it's still heading to and there's still so much growth to happen but where looking back at where it started um, I was lucky enough to be around at a time when you know it was pirate radio driven it was self-sufficiency like DIY culture um, all the things that kind of built that early 
underground scene, whether it be UK Garage, you can go further back to Jungle because Jungle was what really attracted me to wanting to be a DJ. Hearing Cool FM as a kid and hearing some of those DJs and MCs were just like, wow, like what is this? I need to see it. And, and after going to a Jungle rave, I was I was in. Um, so yeah, from from Jungle through to Garage, and then obviously I was synonymous with like grime and being in Roll Deep and, and seeing how far you know the artists have taken up that baton and 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 what we see today is like sold out o2 arena shows and headliners at glastonbury and books and films and merch and super like we're talking like a-list superstars and to the point where like a central sea will land in amsterdam and and there's girls fainting and at the <laughs> airport and like it's stuff that you would never have imagined going back 20 years but yes yeah, it's, it's been amazing to be a part of and i'm, I'm still i feel very lucky and blessed to still be a part of the movement and still have my, my my little role and my purpose so yeah it's it's been incredible well let's go back to the beginning so you are born and raised in east london yes so we've had alex scott on the show the incredible alex scott um you know footballer pundit tv presenter born and raised in east london and she's got alex has got a really lovely charm about her and i think i love about alex and i think you two have got a very similar quality where Every day, it seems like it's a celebration of like, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> it, it does feel like that because yeah. things could have been very different. Um, growing up in East London, I think East London and, and specifically where I grew up in Bow in Tower Hamlets, which was so multicultural and so mixed. Um, it had like high levels of, of youth poverty and there were drug problems and there were crime problems in certain areas. But at the same time, it, I feel like it was so rich in like, just culture and just it just gave you a well-rounded kind of start to, to life and people I feel like some people don't get that benefit of living next door to a, having a, an Asian Pakistani lady on the left uh, a Caribbean family on the right um, a Nigerian lady living upstairs a Chinese man down the hall and just walking out of your block you're smelling the the fragrances of the world and like you're walking past different um dress so you walk past a, a hijabi lady then you might see somebody who's like some cool jamaican guy so literally like these things you, you don't clock it when you're that young but it's slow it's kind of just giving you like just giving you culture i suppose before you even traveled off your own ends um so i love that about east london i love how down to earth people are and they just crack on and and you can walk past people and say hello to people i know people say londoners aren't friendly but i always found that east london had that that warm friendliness about it and um obviously it was the norm to us so you grow up where you grow up and you don't you think everywhere's pretty much like where you live it's only when you get older you realize okay this this is actually like a special place um and yeah there was something in the air there was something in the water that just got a load of us into music and then pirate radio and, and things really just kicked off from there but i don't think it could have happened anywhere else it needed that mixture of people it needed that infrastructure it needed the class status that east london had i feel like all of that helped to build um not just myself but just that 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 area in general i'm really interested in what you say about class as well because like what kind of jobs were like your parents doing and like your peers' parents doing and what were you guys doing to like kind of get your equipment and to get get all your bits together? Like what was the vibe? Where did you get your work ethic essentially? That's what I'm, I'm interested in. Crazily enough, the work, if my work ethic personally didn't actually come from necessarily seeing my parents. I didn't grow up with like my mum or my dad. I grew up with, it was actually my godmother who kind of became like my adopted 
gran and like everybody knew her as my nan. She was my nan to me. Um, she was like a mum to my mum. So it was like, it just felt like it was my nan. But my dad, who I didn't live with, I hadn't seen my dad since I was like six or seven years old, but I knew that he worked at Ford, the, the Ford um, car factory in Dagenham. Oh, Dagenham. Yeah, he, ah. he used to apparently lift engines and, and do kind of like a bunch of heavy lifting. Um, and he was a tall, like, broad solution man um i remember i remember that i don't have too many memories of him but i remember him driving a nice car and he loved his cars and he was a hard-working man and my mum had loads of different jobs from cleaning jobs to an office job and she was just like a my mum was just like a hustler like throughout her life like she done things outside of work <laughs> that maybe she might not have should have been doing at certain times in her life but yeah she she just hustled um but it was more the 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 people in East London in Bow, where I grew up, that were like almost like anti role models. Instead of having role models, I'd have people who I was like, I'm not ending up like that. <laughs> so right. it was like, it would be like, like I mentioned, it was this beautiful mixture of all these different races and, and people and cultures. But there were, like I said, there were drug addicts who would have needles on the stairs and I'd be, I'd maybe have to step over a needle from time to time, or you'd see that the guy who stood outside the betting shop and all he did was talk about, what he could have been back in the day and you you quickly realize okay i can't end up like that i don't want to be like that what do i do to avoid being the person who has to queue up for their gyro or their um, job seekers allowance as it was called or whatever um not just while they're looking for a job but listen that's just their life how do i avoid doing that how do i avoid um going through some of the problems that i'm seeing relatives and friends and so it was almost like that was the drive rather than having somebody that I could say, right, I want to I want to follow in your footsteps. It was more like a, a build up of situations and people that you knew you didn't <laughs> you didn't want to be like that. You didn't quite know how you was gonna navigate it, but you knew you didn't want to end up in that situation. I think we often don't give, I think especially in this country, young people the credit for having the wherewithal of understanding what they do and don't want to be based on the negative things they see. Do, 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 yeah, do you know yeah, what I mean? Because yeah. I think a lot of times people think, young people are like, oh, I want to be rich and famous and I want this and I want that and I want that. And I think they they would assume that it's based on uh, a greed or a need for like, a need to be validated materially where oftentimes it's like, well, no, because I've seen this mm. and I don't want yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and don't get me wrong, as you get a bit older, you, you see, you, you know, you'll turn on the TV and as you get further into music you'll see people do like role models started to develop as i grew older but i think those early days growing up in East london it was more a case of okay i can see that that's not good and that's not great and i've heard a story of how they got to that path in life let me try not to do that and you're just kind of navigating things as, as they come along mm-hmm. um, so talk to me then about uh the first time you thought right music is what I need to be doing, and I want to know where and when, if you can remember. <laughs> can. You got your first. You got your first pair of decks. Oh, I can. Re- I can remember. Like, I remember these stories like they were yesterday. That's why I love these these conversations because I I just get. To, it's like I'm reliving um, some some of my most amazing memories. But music was always a thing that I was into. Um, I've been told many stories about the song. Um, by a musical youth, Pastor Duchy, as being the first record that, like, on on record that was notably like getting me up and dancing as like a baby. Um, 
so that was i guess that was the first rhythm that that, that like i've i've related to and when it came on i remembered it and i was up and i i, I must have liked something about it but um music was just in the household my mum's a massive music fan i was around music a lot my nan that she loved music like i grew up with music around me um i used to visit my mum as i didn't live with my mom, i used to visit her. we still had a relationship i just didn't live with her but she had um, a partner who had a sound system so I'd see the big boxes in the house and I'd, I'd see all the vinyl spread out and I'd hear the bass lines coming from the other room or whatever and I've, I've been to a couple of dances and seen it all kind of set up um, so I guess that was my first experience with seeing the equipment um, but it wasn't till probably I don't know, I was maybe 11, 12 years old and I'm starting to discover my own music and I'm watching Top of the Pops and and, and I, I, I soon noticed that certain types of music were, were exciting me more than others. So like when Salt and Pepper came on, push it, that got me up. And, and I think it was Bobby Brown and my prerogative and like that era, this is like late eighties, early nineties, whatever it was. Um, and then you go into school and, and before long you're hearing about pirate radio and, and this type of music called jungle and, you had no idea what it was, but you used to hear the older kids talking about it. And one day I remember checking out um, Cool FM was the station. It was based in Hackney in East London. It was like legendary pirate radio station. And I listened to Cool FM once and I think I ended up listening to it for like six or seven hours that day. And I was just like hooked and me and a couple of my friends were just gathered around little hi-fi and it was just jungle music and we couldn't believe it. Because up until that point, like I said, you'd had the little moments with whether it be Criss Cross or Bobby Brown or some new jack swing from america or some dance or ragger as we called it from jamaica but there hadn't really been anything that we personally had heard that was instantly relatable to like in terms of like where these people are from what they're talking about the slang the the the, the mixture of how jungle music was made which was like sound system culture meets you know r&b samples meets hardcore um and all of that just came together and it just felt like oh my god this is like home like all that other music we still love but this felt like home. distinctly the, british yeah like these guys on the radio bigging up estates that are like we can see out the window and they're mentioning people that we've heard of and it's like this is like distinctly british and i think that was the thing that really pulled me into wanting to be a part of it in terms of like djing and um yeah, I just wanted to. I just wanted to be like these guys that I heard on the radio, and some of my friends wanted to be MCs. I wanted to be a, a DJ. Didn't have money. Didn't have access to equipment. Um, so that was obviously tricky because being an MC is like free. <laughs> you just need a pen <laughs> and a pad. <laughs> and I've gone and chosen the one where you actually need resources. Um, but yeah, I should just maybe buy a record a week, one or two a week, because um, these are like five, sometimes six, seven pounds. So it doesn't sound that much, but when you've only got 20, like you have to save a little two, three quid for the chicken burger and chips. <laughs> <laughs> but I, w I was spending like as much as I could on on any vinyls I could get and playing them on my old little stereo. I didn't have any turntables. I think it was maybe the following birthday. Um, my mum bought me a, I asked for like a Technic 1210, which the was very, un very unrealistic because even then they were like four or 500 quid. And it was just like, yeah, well, definitely not. But there was an alternative, like a cheaper, less robust, <laughs> was never used in like professional settings, but there was these decks called Sound Labs. Um, and my mum bought me one. So I had one turntable 
um, which kind of is a little bit not I wouldn't say pointless, but like, I couldn't I couldn't get in the mix. Um, but I was still appreciative. Still had the one turntable. Managed to get my hands on a second hand busted up mixer. And what I used to do of I used to turn the radio on, have my mixer on my one turntable, put my vinyl on the one turntable, and I would try I'd mix the songs into what was playing on the radio. Damn. And that was my that was literally how I learned to mix but yeah up until that point it was just literally like just trying to save a fiver here save a tenner there to the point where i had enough to get another sound lab deck um they were a lot cheaper they were like 120 pounds or something um so i eventually ended up with two i had the turntables and all my friends would come around and we'd have one one of them had a mic so we'd plug the mic in and i would get on the decks they would get on the mic and we'd just start making tapes and just trying to like emulate these these guys on call fm until a couple of years later um, genius who still runs Rinse to the day. Mm. He grew up in my area. So he called me. He was like, "Well, me and Slimzy are learning how to to make a radio station. So I'll keep you posted." Then three months later, he called me back. He was like, "Right, it's, we're turning on tomorrow. Do you want a show?" I was like, "Right, what's it called?" He's like, "Rinse FM. You can have a show. Where's the studio? Where do where do we broadcast?" He's like, "Right, come to Free Flats. It's on whatever floor number." Da 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 da. And that was it. That weekend, I was on the seventeenth floor of a block in East London, and we was on the radio having that feedback and that response because it's such a community thing. Pirate radio, as mm. you know, like it was very interactive. The listeners were constantly messaging the the mobile phone or phoning it and whatever, and you really felt like that sense of community. And after that, that was just like, wow, this is I really want to do this. So. Yeah, that was it from there. And you've really kept that energy because Target, like the way (laughs) you're you're still so passionate about putting new people on, about bringing people through and doing what you do. Like you are constantly like on the go. It's mad because being somebody like you, you know, being in the position you're in, like it has to be passion led. Like if you're in, if you're in kind of like a music um role that like we are that we're, we're our role is to share music and to find new talent and to, to put it on if you're not passionate about it like it will come through in your mm-hmm. work like, and i don't think i couldn't have been here this long without still having that same passion like, i get so excited to press play on something that i know people haven't heard yet and i, and I because I, I i believe that people are gonna like it like that excites me so much like and i, I get to do that five days a week on the radio and all around the world and I've, I've been lucky enough to play in so many different people like that is like a, a dream to if you'd have said that to the kid who done that first show on rinse then that 20 years later this will be happening i would have like i would have just done a million backflips people say to me are you not bored of doing radio yet and i'm like you don't, don't you don't understand what i'm made of like what like, this is this is flows through me like i love it I just love it. Oh, Target. You make, you <laughs> no, make me want to like, cut, I'm clutching my chest. No, I don't. A <laughs> little bit emotional, a little bit emotional. No, look, it's, it's a magical feeling to be able to communicate with people anything you're interested in, whether it's like music, film, theatre, yeah. sports, whatever, to do that via radio, telly, whatever, it's it's, it's a privilege. It really is. Oh, and when you and when you look back on your path, you're like, wow, okay. Like, it's, it, 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 yeah, that's like I, mean. I did it's that. Like, I don't like to stop and look back too often because I feel like you can get a little bit, like, indulged in it all. But now and again, I do look back and I say, you know what, like, you stuck to your guns. You've done what you 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 said, like you wanted to mm. do, and you you've worked and like and so now and again. I do 
like sit there and I think, you know what? Well done, mate. But like, don't get complacent. Carry on working and grinding. But at the same time, like I do respect the journey. And at times it was obviously super tricky. And especially in those earlier days, it was like we were up against brick walls at one point. But um, yeah, we I guess we had to just break them down. I think gratitude is is never a bad thing. And it, and it really is oh, okay no, for no. you to look back and be like, you know what, I've done all right. It's not you saying, oh, I think I'm better than everybody else. You're just, you're grateful for what you've been able to achieve, like from your passion, you know? And I don't, I don't think that's, a, I'm giving you permission, Target. Look back more. <laughs> Give yourself more pats on the back. Um, and I'm intrigued about the dreams of like a teenage boy and trying to navigate that and school and, and all of this kind of thing. Were you balancing like wanting to be a DJ with like trying to be good in school? Were you not really bothered about school? What were your teachers like? Do you know what? It's, if you ask my friends, I was like, I probably, they would probably describe me as like that. Probably a little bit annoying to some people because I, I was like one of the lads I was in like, in and amongst it, like in school and like, I was enjoying my time in school outside of curriculum and whatever. And like you have, it's fun. It's just that like school is, is fun. But at the same time, I was, I was always able to like get my work done, do it to a, a, a good or high standard. And sometimes my friends would even say like, how have you managed to, we've been like messing about and catching jokes for the whole lesson, but you still done the, <laughs> you still done the, um, whatever it was, the assignment. So I, I, I always, I always enjoyed school. Certain lessons I just didn't like at all. Um, I, I what, loved what, what did you love and what did you not like? I love art. Art was like my top, top lesson. Loved that. I love just creative. But no, I, I, I enjoyed English, which a lot of people like. My friends found English boring, but I, I quite enjoyed English. I, I, I loved maths and I was good at maths. A revelation. Target into maths. Yeah, actually, yeah, I guess yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes sense with the beat matching. Oh, and listen, like... the back timing, something that we have to do at radio. Like, I pride, I pride myself on back timing, which is, for those who don't know, it's like, say your show finishes at 9pm and it's coming up to 8.57. You're trying to pick a record and get it ready to press play on it so that it ends exactly at 9. And it takes a quick kind of... It's nothing. It's not rocket science, but I, I still do pride myself on those little moments of like working out how long, <laughs> how many seconds, getting it right, and hitting play on it. Like before, music really took a hold. I would have thought I was going to be some sort of sports person. Definitely, mm. I was a high jumper, like, and I was winning English schools and coming second because I had like a nemesis, and sometimes he used to beat me. But it was how dare he? Yeah, exactly. And me and him were like tipped to definitely go on to. Then I got um, scouted by Blackie Harriers, so I started doing it with them. And then Dalton Grant, he started to train me. So like, I was really turning into this prospect of like this this athletics person. And then by by the time I was fourteen, I was starting the DJ thing. By the time I was fifteen, I was on rinse. And so those athletics meetings were always on Saturdays. They'd be in Sheffield or Coventry, and to me, that just felt so long-winded when all my friends were going to the record shop or going to cinema or so to be fair I kind of slacked away from the sport and just went to join what I felt was more fun at the time um thankfully it led me down another path but um yeah I always I sometimes do wonder I wonder what would happen if I just pursued the sport thing but I have no regrets I, I love where I ended up but um yeah that would in school that was definitely something I was I was looking at. Damn, could have been repping Team GV. Do you know what I mean? Wow. 
Um, where were you guys like, hanging out as um, kids besides at the radio station in, in your house? Or did your house become the epicenter once you got your decks? Was it everywhere around Targets? It was a mixture of, of there, or if it wasn't there, it was kind of like we had like a, almost like a HQ. Because um, I lived in Bow, I lived on a road called Devon's Road, and 10 minutes walk from there um, is an estate. Um, and people used to refer to it as, as Limehouse. It's not actually called Limehouse. It's called Lansbury Estate. And it was a massive estate. Still there now to this day. It hasn't been gentrified. It's still this original state. It had a basketball court um, there. And we used to be at this basketball court day in, day out. If we weren't at the radio station or weren't at some one of our houses, we would definitely be at this basketball court or on the estate somewhere on the stairs hanging out if it was a winter we'd go on the stairs to the annoyance of some of the neighbors but to be also to be fair the neighbors on that estate were so like welcome like very rarely did anyone you know like shoo us away or we were kind of like we didn't cause trouble on the estate with the neighbors um so we kind of were like everybody knew us and we knew everyone who lived on the estate and it was just how it was like those they're the boys who were out they're not really causing any trouble sometimes it might get a little bit loud or um there might be a few too many people outside too a bit late but it wasn't like asbo levels or anything do you know what I mean? <laughs> um but yeah we was on this estate just all the time it was this, the place where we shot the first roll deep video to like celebrating birthdays and funerals like everything has happened in this basketball court like we just used to be there no matter what was going even to this day like i went out with the lads the same group of friends i grew up with i'm talking about we all still keep in contact and still to this day we meet up at the basketball court literally this is like two weeks ago so we still and i I just love like just driving into the state and pulling up in the basketball court and getting out and going and sitting in the basketball court and we just sit there and have a quick drink or not quick drink i have a whatever <laughs> sit there and have a conversation <laughs> and then we'll sit <laughs> off but um that place still is like so if you ask me to list top three special places on earth for me like the basketball court would be one of the three because it's just so so much history has happened there when you see shows like top boy and you know a film like rocks where they're using east london like you know as a playground for this amazing drama like how does it make you feel as somebody that's grown up like here and you and you know those spots how, how what has that experience been like for you i love it because growing up all we ever watched was american shows and i remember being excited just by seeing places that i'd heard rappers talking about so like seeing brooklyn on a, a, a tv show or like even watching things like the wire i didn't know anything about baltimore before the wire do you know what i mean but i soon wanted to know about baltimore so like that effect that those shows used to give me and I like, was always so intrigued and like when we actually got to see our own area in shows that were representing it properly as well like what because sometimes some of these things have been done in the past and whether it be a short thing or a film or whatever and it doesn't always hit the now but with some of these more re- especially like Top Boy how it reflects that street life side of east london they do it very well like some people might think it's a bit extreme in places or whatever but it it, they've pretty much like they've nailed that whole culture and that whole feel um yeah i love it i love just seeing the place i grew up being like 
showcased to the world. So one thing I've, I've always been so fascinated by with everyone we've chatted to, obviously everyone that I've spoke that I've spoken to has been able to achieve like you know a really impressive level of success, but it's still a very much a real person. And I'm always intrigued uh, to know about what it feels like. I mean, you kind of answered it already, but I want to get a bit deeper. Like when you go home to the place that you're brought up in as a successful person, how what that is like for you? Like how are your are your old community like treating you? Mm. Um, and especially around East London, because as we know, East London, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a expensive area to, <laughs> to live in now. And I say this as, as you know, as, as, as an implant, you know, I, I've lived here for 12 years, but I didn't grow up here like you. And I'm so, I'm so fascinated by, um, yeah, like how, how you feel about the cha- about the changes locally. Do they, does it frustrate you? Um, does it inspire you? Um, and yeah, and what's it like when you, when you go back and you see your old haunts and you see your old crew? Do you know what's mad? It's a bit of, a bit of both, but I actually can't be mad at it really because one of the things that actually drove us early on, like this is like probably the first piece of gentrification in London or in definitely where we were growing up. Remember, this is we're growing up and it's like 90s and we're just kids out on the block and we're riding our bikes and it's just East London. And like I said, a lot of unemployment, job prospects weren't great. And the people you saw with money were usually up to no good, if I'm honest. Um, until suddenly this new development's happening called Canary Wharf. And this suddenly this thing called the Docklands is happening. And like we literally, from this basketball court that I'm describing, we could see this, these buildings just rising out of like the dust. That's where, because where, where that, where Canary Wharf and that whole financial district is on the Docklands was literally just like old, ancient, unemployed, unused wharves that were, old docks from like they used to ship things in during the war and whatever else and there had been nothing there for years just like land until suddenly they had this plan and we could see from the basketball court just like it looked like just money was growing out of the floor and it's like it's like a mile away so you could literally it's like in your direct eye line when you're at this basketball court so seeing canary wolf the first tower go up and then seeing the hsbc go up and we literally saw this whole thing going up over the next five years and then you'd see all these bankers driving through in Porsches and Ferraris. And it's like, what? And it's almost like, it was almost like, what's going on? But at the same time, it was like, oh, wait a minute. There's, it was almost a bit inspired. We weren't inspired to be bankers or to, to go and work there, but it, it was something inspiring about seeing it and seeing the people who went there and just seeing what, it just looked like money and success and stuff that we hadn't really seen like on our doorstep. So I guess... Mm. That, when I look back now, is like, I guess what we've seen in tons of other places now of gentrification. And when I drive through Devon's Road where I lived and it's loads of new builds and some of the old stuff is still there, but a lot of it is like hidden behind like the new block with the Tesco Express in the basement. And like, that's the whole vibe. And like pub, all the pubs are gone. Like there's, there used to be pubs everywhere in East London, massive pub culture, um, and we were never in the pub like that, but just having them there was part of our thing. Do you know what I mean? Um, no youth clubs anymore. So a lot of it's changed. A lot of the area and how it looks has changed. But I'll, in that same drive, I'll drive past 
three or four people I grew up with, I'll probably pull over, have a chat with someone who I've never seen them since they've had their kids and their kids are now 15. And I'm like, wow, I, I used to know your dad and mum and like everyone's like, oh, so good to see you, man. And like, keep doing what you're doing. It's always, it's always been just so much love from the community you grew up with. Same way I was talking about the estate and the people who lived on that estate. A lot of those people still live on that estate and they saw us go from being these boys who were just out on the stairs, out on the, the, the basketball court, probably thinking, when are they going to stop doing this? So then the next thing you know, they're, they're turning on their telly and we're on the TV. So like, <laughs> to them, like we saw the change and how they were like um, so happy and like celebratory of us as well. And it's always been so much love. Whenever I go back, we have a studio in East London still like five minutes from where the basketball court is. So I'm, I'm through there every now and again. As soon as I get there, I just feel like I'm back at home. I don't think that feeling will ever leave. And 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 nor should it. Do you find that um a lot of the young kids who are growing up in the area now are coming up to you just like target can can you give me some advice or da 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 like kind of like because I've I've been back to do different things there and give talks and, and share any experiences and because the young people in that area have seen so many people come out of the area, not just in the music side of things, but in in sport, in whether we're talking about like the footballers like Ledley King to Ashley Cole, um, Perry Shakes Drayton, who did end up being a Team GB athlete, Tinchy Stride. Yeah, we love yeah, Perry. She's I mean? lovely, she's yeah. Like, she grew up in ends as well. These are all people from a little one square mile community, whether it's J2K or Tinchy Strider or Roll Deep, Rough Squad, Genius, Rinse FM. Like, all of this was all from one tiny little area, like, Dizzy, Tinch, they all lived across the road from me. Like, we all grew up on the same, like, actual road. So the young people have been hearing about all these different success stories for the last 15 years. So I think that's definitely given some inspiration. At the same time, there's all kind of craziness going on with the kids as well around there, like like in so many other different inner-city areas. So it's given inspiration, but there, there, there still needs to be something done with 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 some of these situations that the young people are growing up in. I mean, I do always ask people, I usually ask at the end, but I may as well ask you now, if you were in charge for the day or the year, month, whatever, if you were mayor, what would you change oh, wow. about about the system? I'm not going to lie, could... them bike lanes would be good. <laughs> and I know, you ride, <laughs> yeah. I know you're a cyclist as well, Clara. But you know I, I love like, my bike, Tars. I feel you like know I love my bike. I love a cyclist as well. No more than you. You're my favourite cyclist, obviously. But thank you, thank you. some of the roads that have been halved to create bike lanes that look pretty much like they don't they're not like main kind of road route cyclists like i'm gonna probably get a load of backlash for this as well but i feel like the traffic situation in london has become like ridiculous bearing in mind we pay a congestion charge to hopefully avoid congestion that part of london is the most congested and it's just a, a driver ranting right now I, I'd have, I don't know how we'll do it because I wouldn't want the cyclists to be mad at me. But at the same time, we need a little bit more. We need a couple more lanes here and there. That's all I'm, I'm asking. I think you should. I think you should. Uh, I think you should get. That's a bike all I'm lock. asking. I should. I I've actually. I bought one in the pandemic, but it's a bit of a mission. I, I don't think I could cycle in every day. I'm a bit further out. <laughs> oh, okay. I was, was going to say, but you could. But yeah, maybe. I not. would have calves and thighs for days if I did.
Who doesn't love the gift of an amazing memory? I love making this podcast because everyone enjoys a good reminisce. And I'm being honest when I say I am thrilled to be working with Instax on this series. An Instax camera or smartphone printer is such a great gift for anybody. So easy to use with three different film sizes, mini, square or wide. And each has its own look and feel. From the colourful Mini 11 to the retro classic design of Mini 40, They are the perfect accessory for every social event in your calendar. So don't just take, give. Head to instax.co.uk to find out more. Well, I want to talk to you about your book, that you've been able to, to turn, you know, your your life story into this amazing book, and now it's been made into a TV series. So people are going to see what it is yeah. in, in dramatic form. That's incredible. That's one of the things that's blown my mind the most about this whole kind of journey. Like, first doing the book, like, doing the book was really stepping outside of my comfort zone and just something I probably would have thought to myself earlier in my life, that's not really you can't really as much as you might have the stories or you you're not gonna have to execute i would have given that a miss and it was i think the time in my life when i wrote it was like 20 end of 2017 um just felt like everything had lined up and like my literally my soul was saying to me you have to do it but the the idea got planted probably six to eight months before that semtex actually who wrote his Hip Hop Raise Me book. Um, he was on yeah. after me on the radio. We used to speak every week. He would come in, t- tell me about his book, how it's coming along. Then I saw, when one day he came in with the book and I was like, rah, this is, he's actually smashed it. And it was re- really inspiring. He was like, you know, like this, all this grime stuff was going on. Like you should be, you should write the book and tell people the story of, of grime. And it planted the seed. And I was like, mm, yeah, I kind of was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I wasn't really taking it seriously. And, then like Skepta was having his moment in the States, Stormzy was blowing up, had just blown up. And I was like, actually people, there's so much that people don't know about. And then I was seeing ju- some journalists were writing grand books and I was like, okay, fair play. You've res- but, but, but. Were you there though? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, exactly. And then, yeah, I just felt really like I got married and I went on the honeymoon and like, you know, like I was that ultimate Zen play. I don't know. I was in Zanzibar. <laughs> Honestly, Target. I have to say, not not to get all soppy ever. Because listen, we love a love story on this podcast, so, but I've never seen you happier. Oh, I don't. Never seen you happier. I, yeah. Truly, no, I, love no, to I see. Am ha- like, love I to am see. happy with my life in general. The reason I mentioned the wedding is because we was on the honeymoon and like we were just chilling. And it was like the back end of the honeymoon and we were just kicking back. And I was like. I feel like I want to start the book now, like while we're here now. And I was listening to loads of old jungle sets. We were both just listening to it because like my wife's into the same kind of stuff as me. We've all kind of can't listen to the same stuff. So we were just listening to loads of jungle sets. I was like, I need to start the book and I'm going to start it with a chapter about jungle. I don't know where that will go in the book, but I need to get it off. So I just started and that was the start of writing the book. And I just tried to document not just my own journey, but, how the music has been on the journey and how it's got to, how did it get from Pirate Radio to Stormzy Headline in Glastonbury? How did it, how did that happen? So I tried to just fill in as much of the gaps as possible and break it down for people who, whether they were there, they could read it and say, oh my God, it's nostalgia. Oh, I remember that. I remember that. Or if you know nothing about grime, 
you could pick it up and by the end you fully understand how this whole UK things happened and that was like my aim and um yeah wrote it. it took me like seven months to write it no I had no ghostwriter I had no help but that was the big challenge I had all the stories but being able to put it together and make it cohesive and have it be on the shelf alongside real authors like I was like this is a challenge um but I big up Miss Widnall my English teacher and Roald Dahl they're the two people who made help who got me to write this book like I was a humongous Roald Dahl fan when I was a kid what's your favorite Roald Dahl story it goes between Matilda and the witches. Like my imagination has always been so vivid. So I'm reading Roald Dahl books, but in my brain, I'm it's almost like I'm watching a film and I'm seeing it. So I just wanted whoever read Grime Kids, if they could, if I could get them to see it, like how I saw the BFG <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> like in some, even if it's a minuscule bit of that in there, I the big friendly yeah, grime if I kids. I could get a little bit of that across, <laughs> and I want you to see that Garage Nation rave I'm telling you about. If I can get that, even the tiny bit, then I was, that was my goal. And like when I get messages from people saying that basically to me, like that they've relived this thing, like that stuff is like, I get chills sometimes because I'm like, oh my God, like that, I've dreamed that that's what people got from the book. And then we get a call saying, Mammoth Screen, who, who made Poldark and Noughts and Crosses and all these huge programs want to adapt it and make a TV series. And I was just like, no, this isn't, I'm, I can't, you can't. Yeah, but you can. I, I just couldn't. I was like, how? What do you mean? And um, that was four years ago. And we've been working for the last four years, just piecing it together, getting it together. Um, and Teresa Rococo wrote the script. Um, her film Rocks was amazing that's her yeah incredible so movie. Teresa's on rocks and we were lucky to get Teresa when we got her because I think in a minute she's going to be on some Marvel I don't know where she's going to be but it's an adaptation of the book so it's it's the real life it's the real era that was happening and real characters that existed in the time and real so obviously you're going to be shooting it in London yeah we've just finished shooting it we've just literally finished it's, we're... so it, you're, you're, you're definitely oh, so you're wrapped yeah, yeah, and done yeah yeah the shooting is wrapped it's, it's all been shot in and around London East London so a bunch of those locations I'm talking about I've had to speak to a younger me and explain to him how I move when I'm talking. Like, see crazy things you would never think you do in your life. Like, watching casting tapes of someone playing me. It's weird. Um, and yeah, basically, Teresa has written these five fictional characters into this real world. So um, it tells the story of these five boys who have just left school. Um, it's summer of... 2001 it's the height of uk garage page you go exists heartless crew so solid all of that stuff's happening rhythm division and the raves and all pirate radio all of that's happening and these five boys basically want to they want to get in they want to get involved so it's like it's it's a mixture of both like the real story the essence of what grime is and how it all came about and it's also those fictional characters so you're able to like tell a tell a story rather than have to like stick to exact lives that were living so um yeah it's been a balancing act of getting that to just but yeah i'm so excited for everyone to see it i can't wait to see it we've got some young actors some of which have had one or two 
kind of roles before. Some have had no acting experience. So it's, we wanted to make sure that we could showcase some brand new talent. Yeah, that should be that should be coming this summer. So exciting, so exciting. Actually, I wanted to talk to you about attention to detail and like, I guess the throwbackness of it all because music and fashion go hand in hand, right? And I'm, so, I'm, I'm really interested in the looks that you loved growing up and how you've been working with the team um, on this. Like, what would you say was the London look of 2001? Wow. And and how have you gone about making sure everything is perfect yeah. for this? There was almost like two varying looks that we were a part of. Because remember, this is UK Garage. So to go out to UK Garage night, you couldn't really do a central sea and just rock up <laughs> your tracksuit. <laughs> like, UK Garage, the, the rave culture was like, designer shirts and sh nice smart shoes and, and fitted jeans and like it was flamboyant and the ladies were dressed up to the nines and it was like champagne if you could afford it um, or pretend to have whatever so it was a very like pretentious flamboyant dress sense um people were there for the music but how you was like required to look was pretty snazzy as opposed to when you're in the street when we were in the street at this time, we're in a Nike tracksuit. It's it's Air Maxes or it's TNs. I think had just come out. Um, so it's a combination of both of those looks. So you're going to see the the Nike tracksuits and the Avrex jackets and the Avisu jeans that were fresh around those times. But you're also going to see the 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 wild Versace and Moschino outfits that some people used to wear to these events. Everybody just wants to do it justice. Like when they re they re we rebuilt Rhythm Division, the the legendary record shop that was on Roman Road in East London. It's like if you mention UK Garage or Grime, that record shop was like the spot, um, and it's no longer there. So I just thought they're gonna try their best to make a record shop, and they'll probably have the sign the same. And when they sent me the video of like the recreated shot. Did you cry a little bit? Like, I, like inside me was crying my eyes out. Like I couldn't, like they had found, it's so, I can't even put into words how identical it was. Like I'm talking about, they found like the, the same aircon unit that had, was supposed to be white, but it was so old that it had gone off yellow. Like they found the off yellow aircon unit. They had the exact same till. They had the signs on the walls, exactly the same places. They, they had literally redesigned this entire shop in exactly the same way that Riven Division I couldn't believe it. Like I was inviting everyone down on a day I went to see it. I was like, oh my God, you gotta come and see this. So Rooney who used to work there or Getz came down and we was all in there like looking at each other saying, We're in Riven Division. It's so crazy. And that same level has been throughout. So rebuilding Rinse FM or recreating these events or these raves or having a young heartless crew on stage and making sure that they look the part and are moving like it's it's just the level of detail that's gone into these like I, I i can't believe that it's all because of something that like we all built but I've, i i had written a book about and it's now you've got all these people like hundreds of people running around and it's just nice it's crazy it's crazy to think of where where we've got to 
It's pretty, it is honestly pretty incredible. Uh, let me ask you this. Have you stolen anything from the set as a, oh, as a memento? You know what? Have, you, have you stolen any of the clothes, you know any of the shirts? First day I went down there, this same first day, I was like flicking through. Once I got my head around this is all happening, I was like, right, let me let me actually get, let me see what's on these rails because I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure there's going to be something that I need. And I'm flicking through and they're like, right, who's, is this favorite? Because some of the stuff is loaned from the brands and some of the stuff they've had to source and actually purchase it. So the stuff that's purchased doesn't go back to anywhere. It's probably end up in a cupboard somewhere in some production cupboard. So I was like, right, is this le- is this on loan? Is this lent? I'm going through all these different things. What about this Avex jacket? Apparently, one of the cast members had already bugged it. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'll give him that one. So I'm flicking through. I see this iceberg shirt. Iceberg was like one of my favorite brands growing up. I've seen this iceberg shirt and I'm like, what about this shirt? And they're like, oh, actually, that's purchase as well. You can have the shirt. So I'm like, perfect. I've taken the shirt, got home, like, even show my wife the shirt. She's like, oh, it's just sick. She's tried it on. Like, she's saying, oh, well, I can wear it as well. Like, so we're both now, we've both bagged this shirt. <laughs> and I've got my eye on more stuff that I'm going to get later. Next morning, I've got a message from like, an email from the wardrobe department. We're really sorry. We made a mistake. That shirt's actually on loan. Uh, we're gonna have to send the courier to your house again. <laughs> and this, they sent the courier, and I had to just like kiss the shirt goodbye and give it back. But I definitely wanted to get some of those garments because that stuff is like nostalgia times a million. Do you ever look back at any of your old pictures and do you ever think, oh my god, what the hell? was I wearing or do you look back like you know what Target you were consistent you were consistent with it what's the biggest I'm I'm intrigued by the biggest fashion mistake you may have ever made at the time it wasn't so much seen as a mistake but when I look back at some of the boot cuts it was you in a boot cut jean not not the boot cut like the one that goes down I think we just call them boot cuts because they covered your whole shoe like you couldn't see your shoe anymore like where are you are you got trainers on or not it was those kind of it was a stage where things just got so baggy it went from being the UK garage designer look and as things edged towards out of garage into grime we just went all that designer stuff kind of just got put down and it was just like American apparel like Pelly Pelly academics you know that Sean John era, like yeah. massive tracksuits. Even though we were so distinctly British with everything else we were doing, like we dressed like American rappers. So it was like, and then the jeans started getting bigger and bigger and baggier and baggier. And so I, there's a picture I literally was looking at the other day, and I'm just like, the jeans are just out of control. They're just like, like we're, if and for a and for a slim fellow like oh, yourself, no, I, was I was like, yeah, you had to send a search party. Quite the workout. You had to send a search party <laughs> to get me out of them jeans. Then it went to the other extreme a few years later, and everyone was just literally was just like the tightest jean you could find. It was like it's like I've lived through all these different different moments, and then during the pandemic I didn't wear jeans for like a year and a half and now I literally struggle to wear anything that's not comfortable and I have to say dear listener if there's one thing you'll know about DJ Target the tracksuit collection is always <laughs> sensational I've never seen you in a bad oh, tracksuit I see you every day oh, they're you. always very good okay where are you going to get the best food in London where Ooh. where, where is your trusted spot oh that's a I'm such a foodie and I love going to places that give you good food. Um, on a day-to-day one, I love Caribbean food. I love loads of different cuisines. I'm going to 
not make this long-winded. Caribbean food, I would go to a spot called Too Sweet on Chatsworth Road in Hackney. I know that spot. Best brown stew chicken I've tasted, pretty much. Um, there is a amazing guy who's on Portobello Road, street food guy, but he's like a Moroccan guy and he does like, he does all the fish on the grill and stuff like that. Incredible. Like, these are very affordable as well and there are a few like restaurants that I, I quite like. Um, but most of the, the upstate, upscale restaurants that you hear everyone talking about, half of them are just Instagram moments, really. I get it. Not so many of them. I like, I go there and I'm like, yeah, the food was amazing. It was a great experience. Like, because when you go out to a nice restaurant, you, it's not just the food. It's obviously the ambience, the the service, the food. But saying that, there are some that you go there and you leave there and your taste buds are like, whoa, what what is going on? Um, like Monkey House. Oh, yes, that's, it's a bit that's, fancy. It's that's a bit, a bit fancy. of a combination. Yeah. That's a bit fancy, but the food is quite nice. Um, All right. Yeah, I like, to, I like a bit of, I wouldn't say a bit of everything, but whether it could be street food one day, could be something a bit more fancy another day, could be Caribbean thing and it could be home cooked. Like, but I'm a massive foodie. All right, so that's food taken care of. Um, answer me this. What is your relationship like with public transport? Oh, do you know what? In London... And this is a no-judgment question. No, yep. But in you, London, yeah. up until literally Monday of this week, I hadn't been on London transport like for years. Like several years. Wow. I've not, I've not been on a bus for about 15 years. Wow. But this week, I got a train to radio Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday and home training and home. I'm just, I'm one of those people. I like to have my own space. I like listening to music. I like to make phone calls and like listen to things as my drive. So a drive is not just a drive to me. It's like I can get things done. I can have meetings in the car, on the phone. Music obviously is a massive part of my day. So I can listen to a bunch of new music. You can do that on the train as well, but it's not in the same way. Um, so basically, you're you're a bougie bitch now, Jacob. <laughs> like I probably could describe myself as that, but this week was felt really like it's going to sound even worse that I'm making it sound such like a, such a big thing. But getting the train to work and back felt so like ground liberating and grounding. I don't know what I don't know. Um, but you're connected to people at the end of the day. Like the two, I always think public transport will always be one of the most fascinating places and rich places to just observe people and be inspired from people. Like whatever you do, whether you do a creative job or not, because yeah. like, it's just, you know, there's millions of stories happening around you at the same time. And yeah. you just don't know. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, what's that yeah. person? Why are they going to this store? Why are they getting off there? Who's that? I often think that like, I often start, I like, I'll, I'll just put some, like, I'll see someone getting off and I'll just be like, I'll spend 30 seconds just designing what their life might be, where they're going there, and then I'll just move on. But because I live out near the M25, I have to get like a overground train in and then a tube as well. So it's, um, it's a, it's a bit of both, but leaving London, I hate driving. I would not drive to Manchester or Liverpool or I will always choose a train over a car journey um, if I'm leaving London, just because it takes half the time. Um, but I feel like I'm going to commute in London more now yeah. after this week. Do it. Treat yourself. Also, 
best music venue that you've ever played in? What's your favourite venue? Or even if you remember the first time you like ever played anywhere, like from small to big. Oh, so, wow. yeah. yeah. Well, the first place I remember distinctly playing was in Bethnal Green. It was a place called Oxford House, which I, I think is still there. Like, it was like a community kind of hall slash had a youth club thing slash had other events in there. And there was an under 18s called Education. And it was the first time I'd, I'd been booked. So, like, I was getting paid. I, was, I didn't even know how much. I just knew that you got paid. Um, and I was still in school and I played at this rave and I remember getting the envelope, handed the envelope as I was leaving. And this envelope was so thin, like, you could have swore it was empty, but it had, like, a £20 note in it. And I, I couldn't believe... I couldn't believe I just got paid to play. Like, it didn't make sense to me. Because I was like, I would have done this for free, happily, and I loved it. So how did you... Because up until that point, it's like work is something that you have to do to get money. So once I'd, I'd just clocked it, wait a minute, so your work can be something you also enjoy. Because up until that point, the DJing thing was a hot... It was only looked at as something I love to do. And I would love to be on the radio station, but I wasn't thinking ahead as in like career. Yeah, clocking that you actually got paid. I remember I bought a KFC bucket and I got a taxi home. <laughs> And that was probably like fifteen pound of it, but I was I was just on top of the world. And then from there to probably playing at a place like Ministry, playing at Ministry for the first time was such a big deal. It's iconic, the, iconic. And the sound system there has always been, as a DJ, has always been like a one to play. Some places, it's an iconic place, but the DJ experience may not have been as. But you go some places like wow, they've really built this place for for the DJ to really like enjoy it from like the mm. booth, how it's set up. It starts getting a bit technical, but crowd wise, I think some of those early garage raves were some of my favourites. Like when we was doing Page Ago, Iron Napa, those days were like amazing. First time I was playing up north was amazing to me because it. They have a they had a different culture, they had a different way of life, they were different people, so it was almost like being abroad, like going and playing in Manchester for the first time was Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I have one favourite, but mm. yeah, there's just a few of them over the years, I suppose. Target, thank you oh, so much for your storytelling. And you know, I'm so excited for people to see uh, the Grind Kids series just because even talking to you in this conversation, you speak so um, like cin cinematically, actually. The way you just, when you were talking about like the basketball court, I could feel it. Oh, I, I could really <laughs> see it and stuff. So I'm, I'm so excited for what you're going to bring us. And obviously, everyone tune into Target's show on one extra. It is on at the same time as mine. Yeah, it's a bit just exactly. Go and true. listen to it and when you're in the gym in the morning or do whatever it's like. That's you know it. what I mean? You got you should be listening to Clara, definitely. And you should really be listening to me as well. So just work it out, put it into That's your it. schedules and just That's do it. do your thing. <laughs> Correct. A true professional. Target, thank you so much, my love. Thank you so much for listening to This City. And if you liked it, don't forget, you can tell your mates or one better. If you visited any of the spots we talked about and have a story, let me know on socials. Remember, you can like, rate and subscribe in all the usual podcast places. See you next time.